0: Chapter 47, verse 1. Get down and sit on the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Squat on the ground, dethroned, O daughter of the Chaldeans. And this is not a very elegant language. She's being treated like a slave girl who was the queen, who was the harlot queen over all the world. As we'll see, she's called the eternal mistress, or mistress of kingdoms in the next few verses. And now she's asked to get down like a slave girl and grind in the dust. Squat on the ground dethroned, O daughter of the Chaldeans. Isaiah defines Babylon in chapter 13 as the wicked and the sinners in the world and and so on, the prideful ones, the arrogant, the oppressors, and all of those are represented here. In his seven-part structure, Isaiah juxtaposes Zion and Babylon and gives a definition of who each one is. Zion is defined as an elect group of the Lord's people, those who repent, those who pass certain tests of faithfulness. And Babylon, on the other hand, is everybody else. Babylon itself includes many other nations, such as Egypt, in this structure I'm talking about. They all come under a Babylon umbrella. And Isaiah does that using this literary structure. So that he identifies Babylon not just as the wicked in the world in a general sense, but specifically as all these nations, as militaristic and oppressive peoples, even kindred peoples that are proud in their hearts, and even those of Israel who don't repent, who don't measure up to the level of Zion. They too are numbered among Babylon, and they too go down into the dust. Dust signifying chaos, meaning that they become non-entities. They go back to their elemental state. They're buried. Their corpses lie in the dust or they disintegrate. Everything that is of this lower world, below the Zion-Jerusalem level, disintegrates into its elemental state, turns to chaos. The virgin daughter of Babylon, alluding to kind of a Neo-Babylon or a new version of Babylon... Not the old Babylonian empire, literally, but just like there is a new exodus in Isaiah, a new wandering in the wilderness, a new building of the temple, so there is a new Babylon. And all that that implies. A new social economic structure of the world based upon the manufacture of the works of men's hands and their promotion and sale. And all of that goes into the dust, that whole economy and all those who belong to it. If they don't repent and come out of exile and from captivity and bondage, because that social economic system is a system that leads to bondage. And it is a bondage spiritually and physically. All those who don't come out of that, who remain with Babylon, go into the dust. They turn to nothing. You shall no more be spoken of as delicate and refined, because that was kind of the lifestyle that is implicated here. And that was just a facade Take two grindstones and grind flour, unveil this robe, bare your legs, wade through streams. So she goes into exile. She has to take two grindstones. In other words, that's what slaves or the lowest of the servants had to do. The unveiling and disrobing contrasts Zion's being clothed in robes of glory in chapter 52, where it says... Awake, arise, clothe yourself with power, O Zion. Put on your robes of glory, O Jerusalem, holy city. Shake yourself free, rise from the dust. Sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bands around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. That's in chapter 52, verses 1 and 2. So that's the exact opposite of what happens here. This girl becomes captive. This one gets down from her throne. This one, disrobes. This, this one goes into the dust. All... The opposite things that happen to Zion. The implication being that because those contrasts are so explicit that they happen simultaneously. In Isaiah's seven-part structure, this is a simultaneous reversal of circumstances for both entities. Those who are Zion are reborn as Zion, they sit on their throne, they receive glory, the glory of God, He exalts them. On the other hand, all those who are of this other category come to naught. Verse 3, your nakedness shall be exposed and your shame uncovered. Because she was really a harlot, even though she was famous. In Isaiah's seven-part structure, it's a worldwide system. It includes, as we saw in chapter 23, the worldwide seagoing empire that involved trade back and forth among all nations. Their Tyre represents shipping and overseas trade and that was part of this Babylon economy. John the Revelator in the book of Revelation, in his description of the harlot Babylon, actually partakes of both Tyre in chapter 23 of Isaiah and the harlot Babylon in chapter 47 of Isaiah. And this kind of a synthesis or composite of these two ideas. Your nakedness shall be exposed and your shame uncovered. I will take vengeance and not be entreated of men, says our Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, whose name is the Lord of hosts. The vengeance that comes upon Babylon for her shame, because she's an oppressor to God's people, happens at the time that he redeems Zion. Or he redeems Zion by putting down Babylon. That is Zion's redemption. When he destroys Babylon, that's Zion's redemption. Just like... When he destroys Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen, that is the deliverance of his people who came through the Red Sea. And so it happens here. It's a simultaneous event. That's why it says, says, Our Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. That is the redemption of Israel, or of Zion. Whose name is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of power, the Lord who musters all his forces, brings them to bear upon this situation. Verse 5, sit speechless, retire into obscurity, O daughter of the Chaldeans. She's not been speechless. She's been very vocal up till then. All those who represent Babylon are very vocal. That's one of their characteristics. And now they're suddenly silenced. Another parallel to this is in chapter 21, where Babylon has fallen and all her idol gods are raised to the ground. There Babylon is put down also. And those chapters, all those nations that are mentioned there, from chapter 13 through 23, are all part of this Babylon conglomerate that goes into the dust. So this is really a very traumatic and worldwide event, because Babylon is worldwide. It's a worldwide banishment of the wicked and destruction of everything that represents Babylon, the entire structure, the whole superstructure, and the whole foundation. No longer shall you be called mistress of kingdoms. Very similar to John the Revelator's Babylon, who sits upon the hills and the mountains, and all the kings of the earth have committed adultery with her. I was provoked by my people, so I let my inheritance be defiled. I gave them into your hand, and you showed them no mercy. My people is the covenant expression. And his covenant people offended God anciently by breaking the law of the covenant. And that is why he gave Babylon power over his people. Or well, that is why his people came into bondage in this Babylon system. In chapter 52, it alludes to something similar. My people are taken over without price, says in chapter 52, verse 5. Those who govern them act presumptuously, says the Lord in That's kind of what it is here. That's the same idea. The people of God are taken over by this oppressive power or force and the Lord's inheritance is defiled by them. If idolatry is promoted and exists among the Lord's people, that defiles their land, that defiles their inheritance. If all of the trappings of that economy are established in the Lord's land of promise, then... That's the defilement of the land. I gave them into your hand, that is the left hand, the king of Babylon, or the king of Assyria, same individual in Isaiah. He's given power over them. As he had anciently, so he will again in the end time. I gave them into your hand and you showed them no mercy. No mercy because of their wickedness. Because of their wickedness, because of their lack of repentance, they came under the law of justice, not the law of mercy. And here was an instrument for no mercy. They were put into bondage, it was hard bondage like it was in Egypt. Even the age you weighed down heavily with your yoke. People who should be on retirement, (laughs) people who should be taking it easy in their old age, even these people have to work in factories or whatever the situation may be, to stay alive to make a living it's not God's system you thought I the eternal mistress exist forever and did not consider these or remember her final destiny those who belong to Babylon were under the impression that that system would go on and on and on I the eternal mistress exist forever it's only going to go on and on and on maybe even get better as time goes on exclusive of the fact that there were God's people there in bondage whom the Lord had care for, and who would come under his covenantal promises, and if they would repent he would deliver them from bondage. That never entered her mind. You did not consider these. These the Hebrew Ella means these people or these people of God, these individuals, these covenant people, but it also has a connotation of gods, these gods. Ela can be these, the pronoun, or gods. did not consider gods, the gods. Like Ella Elohim, from the same root. The rabbis in the Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, talk about that particular construction and its connotation of meaning gods or the exalted ones among the people of God. Or remember her, that is, Zion's, or Israel's, final destiny. Zion's final destiny is to be exalted on her throne. That's where God wants to put her. But He can't put her there if His people are indulging in wickedness. So, someone else rules right now, but that situation is going to come to an end. It's only temporary. It's only temporary so long as the people are wicked. But when they repent and renew their covenant with the Lord and again become faithful and righteous then Zion's final destiny is to be exalted. And that implies the overturning of Babylon. Her destiny is to be made an end of. Her usefulness has served its purpose and she's finished. Now therefore hear this, O pampered lady, Babylon, securely enthroned, thinking to herself, I exist and other than me there is nothing. Here we have Babylon, or this whole system, or all who belong to it, or this entity, assuming God-like attributes. Because God exists, and other than God there is nothing. Isaiah has said so a number of times. Other than God there is nothing. Without God we're nothing. Here she's arrogating to herself those same kind of powers, authorities. So at this point in the progression of things... She is assuming divine status just like the king of Babylon tries to assume divine status and have the whole world worship him. So she's becoming that way and that is an anti-God stance which when it comes to that point that is when God makes an end of her. When she becomes anti-God. And if she's anti-God she becomes anti-His people or people become anti-Christ. Very much like Hitler during the Second World War, focused on the Jewish people to make an end of them. That is an anti-Christ or anti-God stance. And when he does that, he will come to an end. The Lord will make an end of him. She says, "...I exist, and other than me there is nothing. I shall not be widowed or bereaved of children." She has plenty of people to support her system. As we saw in uh, chapter 23, Tyre has plenty of colonies. Her merchandising centers and ports are all over the world. And those are like her children, her offspring. She's only becoming more entrenched, she thinks, in power and in authority all over the world. And nothing's going to change that. But the Lord says, verse 9... Bereavement and widowhood, which is a woman's greatest fear, because those are a shame and a disgrace, shall suddenly overtake you both in one day. The day, of course, is a rhetorical link to the day of judgment. So, in that day of judgment, in the end of days, end time of the world, Isaiah defines that day as a, about a three year period of judgment and destruction. Those things will suddenly overtake her very quickly. And all the great destructions of the Old Testament, you look at them and most of them anyway happened very suddenly and quickly and unexpectedly, like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. That was sudden and unexpected. Or the destruction of Pharaoh's army, that was sudden. Those things were not expected. They shall come upon you in full, full measure of covenant curses, notwithstanding your many magical feats and exceedingly strong combinations. this technology of Babylon, this promotion and sale of the manufacture of the works of men's hands, has certain magical attributes, has certain magical things about it. And you look at today's technology, for example, and it just blows you away. In spite of all of that, in spite of the unions, various unions, and conspiratorial forces that combine, form exceedingly strong combinations, that system is still very vulnerable when the Lord acts. Men think it's strong. Men think it's in place and can't be moved. Because so many people are involved. Like Jeremiah says of Babylon, her wounds are incurable. She can't be mended. It has certain flaws, certain fundamental flaws in the system. That will eventually bring about its destruction. Why? Because when she oppresses Zion, what is she doing? When the harlot Babylon oppresses Zion, this is very much like fairy stories. The archetype in fairy stories is essentially the same as in Isaiah here. We have the oppressive stepmother, right, who oppresses the innocent princess. She's of royal birth. And that's what the harlot Babylon does she oppresses the woman Zion. So these are archetypes we're talking about. When she does so, she is bringing upon herself the curses of the covenant the Lord made with His people, right? The people of Zion. If the people of Zion get their act together and begin to observe the laws of the covenant, then God is bound by covenant to deliver her from oppression, from bondage, and from threats to her life. But the way He does it is by bringing the covenant curses of His covenant upon those who deny her rights, who infringe on her rights. In this case, Babylon. And that is why bereavement and widowhood are common covenant curses, why they come upon her in full. Now there is no mercy for her. She showed no mercy. Now she also receives no mercy. All the way through Isaiah, you'll notice that whatever the king of Babylon, the king of Assyria, or Babylon, whoever does whatever they do to the Lord's people happens to them too. Verse 10, Secure in your wickedness, the opposite of righteousness, you thought, no one discerns me. No one discerns Babylon really for what it is. All those who are caught up with it and are in the middle of it don't really realize what it's really doing to them. People who were in bondage in Egypt, if you're born into bondage, Don't you just accept that that's what it's like, that that's life? This is how it is. Babylon has grown stronger and stronger in its power over time and its ability to control people, and yet it creeps up so slowly upon them that they don't realize just what it's doing to them. We pay, what, half of our income in some cases to taxes now? And we just think that's normal, right? Right? You look in the Bible and when people were taxed to that degree, they consider themselves to be in grievous bondage. And yet we think, this is just normal. We don't discern Babylon for what it really is, for what it's doing to us. No one discerns me, she says. She's getting away with it. By your skill and science you were led astray, thinking to yourself, I exist and there is nothing or there is none besides me. Again, arrogating to herself, divine powers, as if she's God. She stands in the place of God to those whom she oppresses. Also, the term skill and science indicate that there is a very sophisticated technology involved here. And because that technology in and of itself is probably good, people think, oh, this is wonderful. But when the technology, that same technology that in and of itself is good, is used... To control and to oppress, to keep people in bondage, then it becomes evil and it works against her. Verse 11 catastrophe, or evil, or calamity, or covenant curse, all of those are synonymous ideas. Catastrophe shall overtake you, which you shall not know how to avert by bribes. Because that's been the order of the day. If some problem occurs, just bribe somebody and that takes care of that. You can bribe it away. But not this one. This is going to be a different kind of trouble. Disaster shall befall you from which you cannot ransom yourself. Who is ransomed, though? Is somebody going to be ransomed out of it? Yeah, the people of Zion are going to be ransomed out of it. The Lord keeps saying that over and over. But not Babylon. There shall come upon you sudden ruin such as you have not imagined. When that whole structure collapses, we can't even imagine what it will be like. It'll be like the whole world comes to an end. That's why it's called the end of the world, the end of the present world. It'll be a whole new world, not the new world order, I dare say, which is a counterfeit of what it's supposed to be. Is that more or less is the perpetuation of things the way they are now, except with more controls and more oppression and more bondage. But this new world will be free. It will be of a higher order. It will be a new paradise, as Isaiah describes it. And we can hardly imagine that, and we can hardly imagine the destruction that will precede it. Persist then with your combinations, combinations or machinations of people and intrigues, covenants and orders and plans and schemes and all of those kinds of things. Even the cult gets involved and perhaps is the center of the whole thing. You see later on in the book of Isaiah. They're all part of Babylon. Assist them with your combinations and your many magical feats, your wonderful technology, which just blows people away. But really that technology in and of itself has nothing to do with Babylon. It's just being utilized for her purposes, to dupe people. At which you have exerted yourself since your youth. It may still be of use to you. Perhaps you can hinder it. So now Isaiah is beginning to mock her, speak of her satirically. It's been a great effort all this time. If you work just a little harder, you may be able to avert disaster. You may be able to do something about the trouble that's looming on the horizon. Verse 13, But you are powerless despite all your tactics. And she is a woman, and women do use tactics. Men do too, of course. (laughs) Certain instances, in spite of these tactics and all of the machinations and all of the intrigues, she really is powerless before God, who has all power. Now let those who unravel the heavens, who observe the stars and make predictions month by month, stand by you and save you. Why? Because those guys have been predicting a wonderful new age, too. A new world order. All the things that by the year 2000 we'll be doing and all of the kind of technologies and the architectures and all of the things that we'll be doing in the future. And if you follow these statistics, that's where it'll lead us and it's just going to get bigger and better as time goes on. So we might as well all have a piece of the pie, a bigger piece for me and a small piece for you, of course. And that's how it works. And all of that is phony. Because those people will not be able to predict what's going to happen. They have never even conceded that all of their schemes are going to come to nothing. So he's mocking them. of those guys now predict the they've been predicting. Go ahead, let them predict. See how it measures up to what's going to happen. See, a stubble there burned up in the fire. Verse 14. Unable themselves to escape the hand of the flame. Fire, of course, is the day of judgment and the destruction by fire and by the sword. It's also a metaphor that describes the king of Assyria, the king of Babylon, who destroys the very entity that he represents. stubble, because that's a chaos motif, it's like the dust, they're reduced to nothing. Unable themselves to escape the hand of the flame. Those who do escape, of course, are the people of Zion. Again, the hand is the left hand, the flame is also. These are all metaphors describing the king of Babylon or the king of Assyria. These are no embers to warm anyone, such is no fire to sit by. Like the fire of the idolaters, half the piece of wood they made an idol out of, and the other half they burned in the fire and they warmed themselves by it. So he's really just mocking her here. This fire is a much greater fire, it's a very destructive fire fire that turns everybody to dust and flying chaff in an instant. Verse 15, This is what your procurers have profited you, those for whom you have exerted yourself since your youth. Each deviates his own way, none is there to save you. The procurers are your salesmen or your pimps, and you've exerted yourself in this lifestyle from your youth. This is what you were from the beginning. Each deviates his own way because they are all deviants that associate with her in one way or another, more or less. Everyone who follows the Babylon paradigm is deviant in some way from God, the Creator, from His plan. Some of them in gross ways and some of them not. None is there to save you. No salvation for Babylon at the very time that there is salvation for Zion because of her righteousness. And the servant is there to save her, Zion. So which do you want to be part of? (laughs) It's basically your choice.